Well, good weekend, everybody. It's good to be back with you. Marcia, my wife, and I were out of the country serving on behalf of Whitdale Church. I was, first of all, in Myanmar, trained about 100 pastors there, and then spoke to a uh, Bible college there, about 65 students. And these are all men and women living in some of the most difficult places in the world, bringing the hope of the gospel. And uh, they are so thankful. They, they want you to know that they're grateful that you would uh, share human resources with them, as well as provide the materials that they use to train uh, new pastors. And then uh, went to Manila and uh, spoke for uh, Campus Crusades uh, Global Gathering. And we had about 90 countries represented, uh, about 234 uh, leaders from all these countries all around the world. And uh, they're on a quest, partnering with other groups as well, to plant 5 million churches by the year 2020. And uh, we're part of uh, that partnership. And uh, it was exciting to be there and to watch these pastors train, strategize. I spoke each morning to encourage them from the word. Marcia spoke to the ladies one afternoon. And uh, it was a blessing to be part of a global movement. So all of that to say God is at work. And whether you realize it or not, you are part of what God is doing around the world by your prayers, by sharing me, by uh, sharing resources. And uh, as Pastor Richard and I spent our time together in uh, Myanmar, it was exciting to see how God is using uh, people significantly there. That, that nation is changing rapidly, and uh, the gospel is part of that change, so we thank God for that. But good things are happening here at Whitdale Church as well. I had the opportunity to find out that uh, uh, this past Wednesday, or maybe two Wednesdays ago, in our Woods on Wednesday program, we had a young lady, about nine years of age, lead another young lady to Christ. Isn't that exciting? I mean, when, you're, when your youth do that, that's good news, right? When young people are telling other young people and no leadership involved, no adults present. Same thing happened at Edina. So all the bad news in the world, God is doing some great things. And that brings us to our series at the cross where we're talking about on our journey toward Good Friday and Easter, which is coming soon, how the cross changes our lives. We said so far that the cross brings us freedom, that it brings us forgiveness. Last weekend, Pastor Kyle reminded us that in suffering, the cross brings us endurance. This weekend, I wanna look at the cross and self-image, which is a big issue for all of us. And I really want to encourage our students to listen and uh, those of you who are parents and grandparents to kind of tune in. It's such a critical issue in our lives and particularly in our students' lives. The cross, the cross heals our self-image. Now, if I were to ask you right now what you see when you look in the mirror, if you could be totally honest and weren't afraid of being judged, I wonder how many of us would say, don't like what we see. We don't like what we see. Where do you go to get your worth? What makes you feel valued? What makes you feel like you have a sense of of belonging, of meaning, of purpose, of existence in life? That's a really good question, isn't it? Because here's the truth. All of us seek our value from others. How you view yourself, the worth that you feel you have or you don't have, never comes from within you. It always comes from without. And whether we admit it or not, that's how we look at ourselves. Even though the culture tells us that we ought to just define our own value, define our own sense of worth. Maybe you saw this commercial that's been uh, airing. I saw it during the Olympics. 
Uh, listen to Muhammad Ali. Watch this. You probably saw this on TV. I am the greatest. I'm going to become champion of the universe. Me with my beautiful, colorful personality. I'm good looking, clean living, cultured, and I am modest. I am so modest I can admit my own fault. My only fault is I don't realize how great I really am. Because I am great. I am the greatest. I mean, I just wish it was that simple, don't you? You just wake up every morning, look in the mirror and go, I am the greatest. My only fault is I don't know how great I am. It doesn't last long. Pretty soon we're back to trying to find greatness, trying to sense value in our life. And that's because we're all creatures. We were all created, right? And because we're created, we were created to receive our value from the creator. But we stepped out of the creator's shadow. In other words, we stepped aside. Our first parents said, we don't want to depend on the creator. We want to depend on ourselves. So we look for value from ourselves. And it's, it's just not there, even though the culture tries to tell us it's there. I was doing some reading, and I was reading about... Um, uh, Sydney and Beatrice Webb, who were kind of the, the founders uh, of the, the British kind of social system. And then uh, another man, uh, Hobart Maurer, who had great influence early on. He was a Harvard professor, and uh, he influenced psychology quite a bit. And how, how these individuals, and many like them, uh, repudiated the idea of the cross. They, they kind of walked away from Christianity because, because the cross does tell us there's something wrong with us, something terribly wrong with us. And their belief is that, you know, there's a lot of good in humanity, and if we just have the right education, the right programs, we can bring that good out. We don't need the cross. We don't need the message of the gospel. Well, what's interesting in particular with those folks that I just mentioned, is that when they got toward the end of their life before they died, they all admitted that there's something endemic, something wrong with the human soul that cannot be fixed by any amount of education, any amount of programs, and any amount of money that is spent. That indeed it does appear there is something flawed deep down inside that needs to be healed in a different way that sociology and psychology cannot provide. Well, Paul tells us what's wrong. And I want you to see what's wrong by turning over to Romans chapter 8 with me, please. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at this passage again next week. We're just kind of getting introduced to it this morning. Romans chapter 8, if you're joining us online, I hope you have your Bibles out and follow along. Um, we're not going to be monitor dependent today, all right? You've got to bring the Bible with you. Uh, get used to using it as well, okay? Romans chapter 8, and for context, let me start at verse 1. Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit... That's the Holy Spirit's presence in us, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's what's wrong with us. This principle called the law of sin and death. What is the law of sin and death? It's our self-centered nature. It's our self-centered nature. Tim Keller calls it our radical self-centered nature. And all of us by nature are self-centered. In fact, kind of like a 12-step group, Let's all admit it, we all have an issue with being self-centered. Raise your hand if that's you, right? Good. 
It's true. All of us do. No matter how much we try not to be that way, we are self-centered by nature. The, and, and we know why that happened. I already explained that. That happened in the garden when our parents said, we don't want to depend on God, we want to depend on ourselves. But the problem is I need my affirmation from outside of me. So in my self-centeredness, what I do is I, I go looking for affirmation. I go looking for self-justification. I go to you or I go to my tribe. Let me explain that for just a minute. You know, we're a tribal culture now. You see this especially in music. It used, to have, it used to have people kind of come together under one large banner of music. Now, music's broken up into tribes. There's all kinds of, of styles of music that people you know, cater to, that they like to listen to. It's very narrow, right? Same thing is true in culture. We all, we all seek a tribe to belong to. The students want a tribe to belong to. You want a tribe to belong to. And whatever that tribe is, then we try to accommodate that tribe, please that tribe, so that the tribe will affirm us and make us feel good about ourselves. So the question is, what tribe are you trying to get uh, affirmation and, and encouragement from? Who do you want to tell you that you're good enough? Paul said our self-centered nature is driven toward the wrong sources. So let me talk about some of the sources, and this is where I really want to encourage you to, to listen in, especially as parents for just a minute, grandparents. By the way, how many do we have, parents, grandparents? A lot of you, all right? So let's listen in. One of the areas that we go looking for affirmation in is the area of looks, the area of looks, which puts some of us at a disadvantage all right away, huh? Of course not you, just me, the only one in the room, all right? But we live in a culture that, that highly values, look, look at television, look at the magazines, look at what's out there. It's sending this constant message, you gotta look this way, especially to our young women, right? Especially to you ladies, you gotta look a certain way so that men will like you and that will make you feel accepted. You gotta look a certain way so you can hang out with the right peer group and that will make you feel accepted. And not only looks, also accessories. How do we accessorize our looks? You know, what bling do we wear? What clothes do we wear? Where do we shop for those clothes? How much do we pay for those clothes? It's just funny to me how, how in the culture we just, we look at somebody and assess them. We pick up on them, especially in a fashion, by what bag they happen to be carrying, right? Or what, what labels on the back of the, 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 the clothes that they're wearing. And right away we kind of peg them, whether they fit in our tribe or not, whether it's acceptable or not. And then, of course, there's also, there's also talent and there's achievement and there's performance that goes into be accepted, right? So, you know, how can I use my talent to, to gain applause? How can I use my talent and my abilities to get people to like me? And how high do I need to climb up the ladder corporately uh, to be considered to be successful and, and, and to have my peers approve of me or my parents approve of me? What are the grades that my kids need in order to get into the right school? And how many of us parents, let's be honest with ourselves, how many of us as parents want our kids to be successful so we will feel successful? It's as much about us as it is about them. And so we drive them towards success so that we'll get the approval of others. What car do I need to drive? What subdivision do I need to live in? What kind of house? What kind of lifestyle do I need to have so that the wider audience will look at me and say, wow, you're successful. You have worth. You have value. You have really proven yourself. Or we live in a celebrity culture, don't we? I mean, that's what social media drives, this whole idea of, 
um, celebrityism. And it's, and it's popular. How many of you are on Facebook? I'm not, and I'm proud of it, all right? Okay? I don't like, I just don't like that kind of exposure. But, you know, how many likes do you have? Have you ever thought about this? I've thought about this a lot. Maybe it's one of the reasons I'm not on Facebook. You know, what if I have 100 likes and you have 1,000 likes? What do I, how do I feel about myself now? All right, you have 1,000, I got 100. I feel pretty crummy about me. I mean, what do I have to do to get 1,001 so I feel better about myself? And if, I'm, you know, if I have 1,001 you only have 1,000, that means that I'm better than you. That makes me more acceptable. You see how crazy and competitive it gets? I mean, what's selfies? What are selfies all about? Look at me, I'm here. Look at me, I'm there. I'm everywhere. <laughs> what, what, what is Instagram all about? What is that? It's all about self-promotion. It's all about putting myself out there all right, because I want to be wanted, I want to be liked, I want to fit in. Am I saying Facebook is of the devil? No, I didn't say that. Am I saying Instagram is the Antichrist? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that all those things provide platforms to be misused in order to feel better about ourselves. And the more, listen, here's the insanity, you ready? The more you put yourself out there for approval, the more disapproval you're going to encounter. That's just because we live in a broken world. And the more I put myself out there, I become way more vulnerable to all kinds of criticism and nasty things being said about me. And it's always amazing to me, and I experience it in my own life, I can have 100 people tell me that was a great sermon. I just need one person, even anonymously, to tell me that it stunk, and where does my attention go toward? The one message. Now watch, somebody's gonna have fun and send an anonymous message in, all right? hundreds of them, that's okay, I can take it. As long as my wife likes me, I'm okay, all right? That's hard, right? That's our nature. If if we, you know, if, if all of your approval could be met just by you looking in the mirror saying, I'm great, we wouldn't be out looking in all these other directions. But, but it's really, you know, if I'm gonna look in the mirror and say I'm great, it's really based on everybody telling me I am great. And you're never going to get 100% approval. It just doesn't happen. Or uh, it's, it's all about behavior. What, how do I have to behave to belong? How do you students have to behave to belong to the right tribe at school? What do you got to watch? What do you got to see? What do you got to do? What do I have to do with my body to belong? What, do I have to give my body away? Do I have to give my virginity away to belong? How about my language to belong? Do I have to use a certain kind of language? Do I have to, do I have to participate in certain kind of recreational drugs to belong? Do I have to act a certain way to belong? Do I have to give up my values to belong? See, there's a cost that you have to pay to belong. When you seek other people's approval, it doesn't come for free. And so it literally costs you dollars to belong, to have the right look, wear the right accessories, be the right kind of person, achieve the right talent, do the right performance, get the right grades. It may cost you your values. What sacrifices, what compromises do I have to make in order to be liked by the tribe that I want to be liked by? It's exhausting because it's a never-ending. Once you get there, you got to stay there. It's frustrating. It can make you angry. It can make you lonely. It can even make you suicidal. Because I need approval. I need to belong. So I carry around this huge weight, this huge pack of self-justification, hoping I fit in, hoping I will matter. By the way, is, are the Oscars uh, tonight? How come we know so much about that? Just kidding, all right? It's the Oscar night, right? And, you know, uh, I was thinking we have service night, the gathering. I know attendance is going to be down right away. 
because I'm competing with the Oscars. People who go to the Oscar parties. I'm not down at Oscar parties, although I do think it's funny. I read an article today, and it said, I think Jimmy Kimmel's hosting the Oscars, and in the article, it was a serious article, it said, we really hope that Jimmy Kimmel and the Oscars can unite our nation this weekend. <laughs> They're like, wow, we're looking at entertainers now to unite us. Something's really wrong. Something's really wrong with that. But what are the Oscars all about? The Oscars are all about, do you like me? Am I approved? Do I finally get my Oscar? And the only reason I bring that up is all of us are participating in the Oscars. All of us want an Oscar. All of us do. All of us want to be told we're great. We're worthy, we're valuable, that our lives matter. But like I said, for all the applause that are out there, there's always a boo that's out there. And oftentimes more boos than, than applause. So what's the cure? What's the cure? Well, we've already kind of looked at the cure. The cure is found back in Romans chapter 8. Let's look at it again. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Paul says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. By the way, when you seek your applause from others and you don't get applause or you don't get enough applause or people criticize you, what do you do with that criticism? For the most part, we self-condemn when we're criticized. When we don't measure up to what we think the culture says we're supposed to be like, to what our parents tell us we're supposed to be like, to what I convince myself I'm supposed to be like, when I don't make the grade, when I don't measure up, what do I do? I condemn myself. I hate myself. I don't like myself. There's this little tape recording in my mind that reminds me that I didn't make it, that I didn't measure up. Paul says that in Christ there is no condemnation. He goes on, he says, therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, who gives life, because when I accept Christ, the Spirit comes into me, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless, now we're talking about the law, the, the Mosaic law. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, notice Paul is saying, look, because, you know, especially if you think about Jews, it's all about keeping the law. He says, you know, if you could keep the law perfectly, you'd have no issue. You, you, would, you would have no self-worth problems. But the law does not give you life. The law condemns you. Because the law, the law is like the voice going, boo! <laughs> you didn't make it. You're not good enough. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. All Paul is saying is this. You know, when we stepped in and said, God, we're gonna substitute ourselves for you, we're gonna be our own God, and sin came upon us all, Christ stepped in and said to his father, Father, I'm going to step in and take Dale's place. I will take his condemnation. I'll take his judgment on myself. I'll die his death so that, God, you won't condemn him. I'll take it on me. So Paul says it's the law of the, of, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that's been brought into my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit that sets me free from all condemnation, all need to justify myself because I've been justified by Christ. Come down to verse 13. 
He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now listen, if you try to justify yourself, you're gonna die, it's just not gonna work. But if by the Spirit, if you're gonna depend on what God's done for you, depend on the Holy Spirit, he says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The old King James Version, it says, if you mortify the deeds of the body, what's that mean? Well, in essence, what Paul is saying is, look, God's given you his Holy Spirit. And, and the Spirit is the promise of all that God has done for you through Christ. You've been liberated. You're approved by God. You have worth. You have value based on what he's done for you. Now look at all the things that you think will justify you and say to them, I don't need you in my life to be uncondemned. I don't need to look like a model to be uncondemned. I don't need to have a certain income to be uncondemned. I don't need to give up my virginity to be uncondemned. I don't need fill in the blank, whatever it is. I don't need any of that. I am not condemned because of what Christ has done for me. See, here's the thing. Look at the cross for a moment. When you first look at the cross, what do you see? You see that something is terribly wrong with you. Why? I mean, there has to be something terribly wrong with me if Christ had to die for me. I'm so imperfect, I can't change and fix myself, so Christ has to die for me. But keep looking at the cross because the cross also communicates this message that there's something extremely valuable about you and about me. Let me ask you a question. Students, you get this one as well. How do you determine the value of something? The answer to the question is by the price someone's willing to pay for it. By the price somebody's willing to pay for it. And we're not all willing to pay the same price. Sometimes one of us will value one thing more than another will value it. It depends on how much that means to us. Well, what kind of value does Christ place on you and me? God looks at us, and even in our sinfulness, the Bible says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God looks at you and me, and God says, you are so valuable, I am willing to pay the ultimate. I'll give my life for you. And God's really been uh, speaking in my heart a lot about this lately because I mean, I know that cognitively. I can tell you that in a, a dozen different ways. But how does it affect my life? Like, do I stop and go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. God loves me that much. He gave himself for me. That's how much he treasures me. And I, I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. He just lavishes it on me. Do you realize how profound that is? That's staggering. And the question is, does it make the 18 inches from my brain to my heart? In other words, does it just change me? Does it enrapture me? Does it, does it move me to live differently? To live with much more freedom and much more ease? Because I'm telling you what, when you're not worried what people think about you, life is so much less stressful. Would you agree? Life is just so much easier. And I'm freed up to do so many more things. And I probably save some money with it too. That was the Dutch in me, all right? But think about that for a minute. Think about that. We are so valued. You are so valued. Christ values you and me so much because of who he is and what he has done for us. 
and it should change us. Now, I want to use an illustration for what I mean by that. How many of you know the, the movie or the story Chariots of Fire based on Eric Little's life, right? If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's been around for a while, but watch it. Eric Little was a, a famous missionary and, uh, and, and, and runner. And, and actually, his famous missionary only really came much later after he died. He died in a prison camp in China when the Japanese had taken over. He died of a brain tumor before and just as the camp was liberated. But he was a fast runner, and his rival was a guy by the name of Harold Abrahamson's. Both were actually great runners. But both had, had a different attitude toward running. Harold Abrahamson's describes his attitude toward running. He says, I want to run, but I'm scared to run because when I run, I only have 10 seconds to justify myself, to show the world what I'm made of. That's why I run. It's effort. It's exhausting. I got to run this race. (sighs) Work hard. Train hard because I've got 10 seconds to run this race this 100-meter race, to prove to you I'm great. The only way I'm going to prove to you I'm great is I got to cross the finish line first and get the gold medal. Man, that's a lot of pressure, huh? (laughs) Think about the Olympics that just happened. I can't imagine the pressure some of those Olympians were facing, especially from some countries, to get the gold medal. And of course, you know, in the whole news has been about why didn't America get more gold medals in this last Winter Olympics? No pressure there. I got to prove myself. Eric Little, he had a different comment. You know, he was going to be this missionary in China, and his sister Jenny kept telling him, you know, go to China, go to China, forget about the whole racing thing. And, and I love his line. He says to her, Jenny, God made me for China, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure because he made me fast. Well, he had an opportunity to run the 100-meter dash to get a gold medal in the Olympics, and he was assured of the gold medal because that I mean, he was just flat out that fast. But when he found out that the 100-meter dash was going to be run on a Sunday, he pulled out of the race, which, very, which really upset the British press and Britain because, like, he's the favorite guy, and he's pulling out of the race because it's on Sunday, and he won't run on the Sabbath. The Sabbath belongs to the Lord. So you can imagine all the criticism he took for that. But he refused to run on the Sabbath. Instead, he ran on a different day, and he ran a different race, the 400 meter, which had two world record holders that were going to run in it. He had no chance of winning gold. It didn't matter to him. He went to the starting line. The gun went off, and 400 meters later, he broke the record and won the gold medal. For him, running was a pleasure. Not an effort, not exhaustion, although obviously he trained and obviously he felt exhausted at the end of a race. But he ran it out of the pleasure of the fact that God made him fast. What's the difference between both men? Think about the illustration with me for a moment. One man runs it to prove himself. The other man already has been approved by God and he runs to enjoy the race. And when he runs, he says, I feel God's pleasure because this is what he made me for. Everybody here, just like we're all in search of an Oscar, we're all running a race. But the question is, why am I running the race? Am I running the race to get the and the gold medal? Or am I running the race because I was made to run the race and I run it for his glory 
and I've already been approved. In his mind, I've already crossed the finish line because the son crossed the finish line for me. We're going to talk more about that next weekend because that really goes against the grain for some people. They can't stand the idea that they can't prove themselves. Maybe that's you. And so the message of the cross is nonsense to them. I need to prove myself. Is that not the height of thinking I'm God and pride? God says, I have proven you. I gave my son for you. Now, live out of this approval. Live out of this divine acceptance. And that gives me actually the energy to do a whole lot more. When I'm not worried about what you think of me, I can serve you. And you can love me, you can hate me, it doesn't matter, because the one who it matters the most who already tells me I've been approved. So everybody's running a race right now. Let me ask you a question. Are you running the race to be approved or are you running the race of one who has already been approved by Christ? You do far more for the glory of God if you run it that way. You say, well, doesn't the Bible says that we're, you know, we're, we're to be approved workmen? Yes, it does, but... But you see, I can be an approved workman because I've already been approved. Well, are you telling me I'm not going to be held accountable, responsible? Well, that's next weekend's message. We'll talk about that. Right now, I'm just asking you, can you live out of the fullness, out of the joy, out of the satisfaction of having been accepted and approved by God? Or do you want to walk around life wearing this pack of self-justification, wondering what everybody thinks of you at any moment? God says, take that thing off. Stop worrying about what everybody else thinks of you. Bring that desire to the cross. Mortify that with the power of the spirit of life and just, just accept the fact that you're accepted. And enjoy it. And live out of it. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me, please? In a few moments, we're going to be singing a closing song, and I'm going to ask you not to, not to bolt out of here, but to stay for the moment. The song just really has a simple concept to it. It's just, here's my life, Lord. Here's my life. And then it goes on and talks about how our lives are the summation of what God has done for us. He's the one that makes us sure. He's the one that makes us strong. He's the one that gives us love. He's the one that causes us to endure. It's all about him and it's all about what he's done for us. And it's, it's all about living out of that overflow. So Father, here's our lives. Thank you for freeing us from this burden to be approved by others. Thank you for approving of us. Lord, teach us how to live out of that confidence and out of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.